Kia ora, and welcome to Cinema in Context, where we discuss all things film and the connections between. My name's Jeremy Downing. No, I'm Jeremy Downing. Well, to, for today, I'm Jeremy Downing. I'm surprised you think that's how I speak as well. I know, <laughs> it's, it's tricky. Okay, I'm Sarah Watt, <laughs> and this month on uh, Cinema in Context, we have a guest speaker in lieu of William Chen, our regular contributor, and our guest today is Doug Dilliman. Hey. Hello there, welcome. Welcome I'm, I'm, to I you. I don't know why I'm saying welcome back. <laughs> we're, because, all, we're all backwards today. And yeah, we're yeah. in your house. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> welcome now, back, Doug. Welcome back to the podcast. Yes, and welcome back to my house. Yeah. <laughs> Now, in case listeners think that they might be uh, listening to the wrong type of podcast, just to remind you, each month at Cinema in Context, we discuss two films, one current and one retrospective with some connection. It could be the same director, the same actor, or a similar theme. Well, this month, we are discussing May-December, which came out at Cannes in 2023, and Notes on a Scandal, which came out back in 2006. The connection being, both films are about an illicit slash illegal love affair between an older woman and a much, much younger man. Jeremy, I'm going to get you to do the rest of the spoiler preamble and all that stuff. I appreciate that. Thanks for welcoming us today, Sarah. And and as I said, welcome, Doug. I think the last time you were on the podcast... Oh gosh, it was probably this time last year. We would have been some Scream films, was it? Or... Oh no, I think it was post that. I feel like that was two years ago because then we also had the Film Commission chat. Oh yes, yeah. yes, that yes. I Suffice it to say that we call Doug in sometimes uh, when whenever we... there's an M Night Shyamalan yeah. film. Or whenever... Oh yes, we did an M Night Shyamalan film. Or whenever mm. that we feel for diversity's sake, we need a white male American. <laughs> <laughs> we are profoundly underrepresented, and yeah. so I appreciate being, in the uh, film business. Yes. Yeah. Right. In New Zealand, anyway. Oh, mind you, actually, no. There's a lot of there's a lot of crews visiting, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. No, we're not underrepresented anywhere. Yeah, maybe right. Bollywood. <laughs> <laughs> so there, there will be spoilers for both of these movies, and there's some there's some quite good things to be spoiled in these films. Yes. Oh, so yes. Come back and you know pause this episode and come back at a future date if you want to go and have those surprises experienced for yourself in in the moment. But um, I'll give us a bit of an overview of May-December, eh? And then, and in doing so, that will explain why I pretended to be you at the beginning. Mm. So in May-December, there are two kind of lead actors, both in performance and in the film. So you have Natalie Portman, who is playing a, a version of herself, I guess, but with a different name. And she goes and meets up with Julianne Moore's character. And the reason why she's meeting up with her and her family is she's doing some research on this woman because she's going to play her in a film. Mm. Ah, which is why, Sarah, I believe you are playing me today. That's right, and I would never be cast as you, Jeremy, but um, (laughs) simply too much hair. That would be the only reason. This is true, this is true. Uh, And so the reason why why there's a story here is that this woman, Julianne Moore, she is married to a man who's much younger than her, and they started their relationship when... I believe he was 13 years old. And she was 36. Yeah, and so she was a married woman with children already. Um, they had a uh, you know, relationship. She ended up going to jail, had a child in prison, and then when she comes out, they got married and mm. had two more kids. Mm. And so this is a story about Natalie Portman figuring out who this person is, who her family is, uh, and then also this family... I guess we get to see behind the curtain a little bit. That's right. Yeah, that's and, how their, and how their lives are uh, ripped open by having the stranger come to town and uh, dig into the past. Absolutely. And there's a lot of animal metaphors, which I'm sure we'll get to. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's May, December. Great. Um, well, Notes on a Scandal came out in 2006, as we've said. It's based on a novel by British uh, novelist Zoe Heller. And um, it's the story of, again, two women who are decades apart in in age. Um, The protagonist is a nasty-minded, older schoolteacher, single spinster woman played by Judi Dench, and her name is Barbara Covett, who um, she ingratiates herself into the life of a a beautiful, flimsy young art teacher who arrives at the school uh, by the name of Sheba Hart, played by the luminous Kate Blanchett. Um, But the story revolves around the fact that Sheba Hart, in 
uh, embarks on an illicit affair with a 15-year-old boy in her art class, which of course is illegal, immoral, and all sorts of things. And um, so Notes on a Scandal, and we'll discuss the intricacies of what happens, is written from Barbara's point of view as the, the, the friend, in adverted commas, who is the witness and making notes about the scandal as it unfolds in real time. Mm. And I think it's fair to say that Sarah and I, we both loved this film from before, many, from before and kind of were excited about returning to it. But maybe, Doug, we'll hand it to you because I, I understand you watched it for the first time this week. Yeah, so my sort of, when Notes on a Scandal came out, it was at the tail end of me having thought that the goal in life was to watch all the good films in the Academy Award films. At, you know, my goal was a film person anyway. And this was in the early 2000s when the Weinsteins were shoveling literary adaptations down our throat every mm, year. Mm, and we were mm. getting snow falling on Caesars and the... Cedars, not Caesars, and, uh, <laughs> and the Cider House rules mm. and blah, 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 anything Lassie Hallstrom could get his hands on. And they were all high-toned and very well-meaning, and I just got so bored by them after a while. And at some point, I'm just like, this is not... Um, the genre for what, you. This is, this is not speaking to me. This mm. is, so, so I started being much more selective. So, uh, And by the time Notes on a Scandal came on, I was like, Judy Dunge, Kate Blanchett... Adapted from a novel. Bill Nye. Uh, going, going for the Academy Award. This is going to be some, you know, very well-meaning, hand-wringing nonsense. So I, I wasn't even bothered. Um, and I didn't hear a single thing about it that made me change my mind. And I'm so glad I caught up with it. I'm also so glad I waited. At the time, I would not have appreciated it. Because what it is is incredibly overwrought melodrama, mm. um, played to the absolute rafters. Uh, and it's interesting looking at, I looked at the uh, Wikipedia um, to Thank entry you. to see how it was received at the time, and the Houston Chronicle was like, say, you know, they listed some positives, and like, but the Houston Chronicle described it as overwrought melodrama. And you're like, <laughs> yes, but you're p positioning that as a criticism, mm. where in fact it's just glorious you know and it's interesting that we're doing this in um tandem with todd haynes uh we also just coincidentally rewatched todd haynes far from heaven mm. uh recently which is um his attempt at doing a douglas cirque melodrama um also starring julianne moore coincidentally mm. yes um notes on a scandal is not emulating that era as much but it is just leaning into the glorious pulp um richard Eyre, who directed Notes on a Scandal, I didn't have any real impression of. Isn't he a British? He's a British, he's British play largely, director, largely theater largely director. theatrical director. Mm. He most recently appeared on our screens directing an adaptation of Alleluia, which attempts to convince people that the NHS is great in the most backwards way possible, which I won't spoil. Um, it, was but, a, it was a film that I was quite down on, Alleluia. It's set in an old folks' home with old people dying. And, and not, I didn't think it was handled very, no. very well. It wasn't clever or funny or interesting or any of that stuff but yeah so he's kind of one of those british theater directors who who dabbles in screen from time to time with varying degrees of success like a sam mendes and others you know yeah but not not nearly as prolific or successful no, no. on the screen side as sam mendes. however notes on a scandal bloody yeah. brilliant yeah i it you get two kinds of theater to film directors you get the ones who don't know how to move the camera and just keep and just really focus on the performances. And then you get the ones who are finally get all the toys in the toy box and get to play with camera moves and bold overuse of music and close-ups and, and you know, narration, contrapuntal narration and all these sorts of techniques. And Richard Eyre definitely just took Throws a lifetime of, fresh, lifetime of everything he'd wanted to play with and along with um, British DOP Chris Men Mengus, who does a great job in that beautifully shot film, and just goes to town. Mm. How did you find it going back? Um, I, I love it every time. I, so I've seen Notes on a Scandal a lot. I read the book, which is curious, because in the early 2000s I was living in England and I actually read books in those days. <laughs> um, and I, I simply don't nowadays. But I actually had read it, and I'd seen the film and absolutely loved it. Um, and I've seen it many times since, and, it, and it, I ne never get tired of it. And um, I, one thing I want to say, 
because listeners may or may not know this, they might know that May, December is based on a real, it's based loosely, not that loosely, on a real life story mm. of Mary Kay Letourneau, who was a, uh, was she a teacher or was she just a, a mom in, in America who had an affair Age 30, she was 36, she had an affair with a 13-year-old, and basically May-December takes that plot, those sorts of characters, and spins a yarn from it. Interestingly, and I only read this this morning, um, 18 years after Notes on a Scandal came out, Zoe Heller based Notes on a Scandal on exactly the same Mary Kay Letourneau case, mm. and I hadn't realised that. Um, now, Mary Kay Letourneau's case was 2003. So, the interesting thing here, Notes deals with the film in the moment that it's happening. Uh, and I'm, I guess, Jeremy, you know, we'll discuss, obviously, the, the dual narration side of it, because it's always fascinating to us, isn't it? We've done a lot of films lately that have been about somebody, but they've been narrated mm. by, by the other character. Amadeus was the, was the biggest one I could think of. Absolutely. Right and and um, what did we do with Amadeus? Um, oh, Maestro. Maestro. So, yeah, uh, yeah sort of. Um, now... May-December is interesting, and we'll get to it, obviously, because it doesn't get into the nitty-gritty of in-the-moment scandal. Mm. It looks at the scandal uh, 20 years on. Um, where are they now? How has it been? Oh, they've been married for or together for 24 years, and so on and so forth. And yet both of them are absolutely melodramatic, over-the-top, scintillating, delightful. There are melodramatic moments in both films that if you didn't have the patience for it, you'd go, for crying out loud, simmer down. Nah. Not least because of the music, which I know we'll talk about. Yeah. But actually, wasn't it wasn't it fun? Wasn't it thrilling? Yeah, I, I watched Notes on a Scandal when it came out, and mm. I don't think I've seen it again since then. Mm. I would have been working at the cinema at the time, down at the Embassy Theatre in Wellington, and I remember loving it. And so, you know, you're always a little bit nervous going back to a film you haven't watched in a long time and mm. you remember loving yeah, it because yeah. it can go either way. But I had such a good time. I think, first of all, and I said this in our group chat, I was just so thankful it was only 90 minutes. Yeah. And, yes. And don't know, they pack a lot in to 90 do. minutes? And I think because it's melodramatic, they can. It's they pacey, can, pacey, pacey. It's yeah. really good. And, yeah. and I think there are some casualties with that, but I think they are worthy casualties because of... Do you mean from the source text? No, I think in the sense of like the, the, the boy who is ostensibly the victim in this whole situation mm. is just completely ignored by the end mm. of the film. Mm. It's not trying to tell that story, but it is like mm. when you think about the subject matter mm. and who, is the, who are the people, you know... You get a little bit of Kate Blanchett's yeah. family, but you know, ultimately it's mm. about these two women. Yeah. Um, well, and are into the movie. The very opening scenes is through Judy Dench's character, and the final scene is through Judy Dench's character, and so it absolutely. is. I mean, it's perfectly set up for two notes, two scandal. Yeah, yeah, which is one of the most <laughs> overlooked sequel opportunities in uh, cinematic history. Bad strikes again. But just, just, just to tap into that, and I don't mean to. Um, come away from you what you're saying Jeremy but just to tap into that isn't it interesting that actually it's not called a scandal it's notes on a scandal so not only is it her perspective mm. which makes it fascinating for us but she's actually Babs is actually the baddie in the whole film mm. Sheba at the end goes back to Bill Nighy who, who you know wordlessly lets her in the front door after a month's estrangement and we can only assume they work it out and she gets her life back. We can only assume. Whereas Babs is still lonely, still embittered, and still trying to seduce young women on a park bench in Hampstead uh, simply because she's lonely and she, she wants, and, and she wants that, that intimacy and that mm. connection and stuff. Mm. So th that's just curious to me. Different just to, Just to build on that point as well, there's both of them kind of foreground... The Both incomplete the, the notes on a scandal in May-December yes. foreground the incompleteness in that sense because it's <clears> notes <throat> on a scandal imply it's we're only getting what we can glean from this perspective in some yes. way. May-December very much foregrounds the you're never going to really understand what happened here. That's very and even, true. And even and and in a certain key scenes in both films, you get the sense that even for the people involved, their understandings are very different and continually evolving and confused and that's that the very nature of this sort of situation has a fundamental unknowability about it, which i think is what you know i mean as may december depicts you know the story was at least growing up in the states it was on the cover of every tabloid mm. i mean i don't know if you guys heard about the mary kaylee tomorrow case over there but i only know about it through these there there, yeah. was, there there was a year where if you went grocery shopping 
um, you knew about it. Because, like, every tabloid, every... And it wasn't just the trash tabloids. It was people. There would be, like, rot, um, you know, the Newsweeks of the world and things like that would find, you know, ways to gloss it, gloss it up or, or, you know, make it more intellectually fibrous. But it was still all just like, this is selling papers and why not? Because it's mm. like, what would compel... But it's, but no, but yep, yeah, yes, but and I'm sorry, Jeremy, you're gonna to have to hold that thought that you had. <laughs> sorry, but here's the here's the crazy thing with the Mary Kay Latorno case and the, therefore the May December story. We are used to horribly stories of teachers having affairs with their 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 young people or whatever it might be. What we never see is a, an enduring relationship that is by all accounts functional that comes out of it, and. The characters in May-December have been together for 24 years. They've spawned three children, not just one by mistake when he's a 13-year-old and she's in prison, but three intentional, or at least two, (laughs) two intentional children. They live as a family. He has a relationship with his son that is so big brotherly and lovely. Um, And... And 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 it and the relationship works. So that to me is almost worthy of ongoing mm. tabloid. Uh, not nothing's worthy of tabloid, but do you know what I mean. It's worthy of mm. ongoing investigation and speculation because it is mm. highly unusual. And so when the film starts, you think, oh, what are we going to see here? And I can definitely tell. I can I can note two things. One, the way that Julianne Moore, who talks. In that kind of slightly lishby kind oh, of I love girly I love kind Jane of way, so much. and yet you notice that the way she talks to him—I can't remember that the, his name, um, Charles Melton's character. Yeah, I can't remember either. It's not Joe. It is Joe. It is Joe. Yeah. And she's like, Joe, could you please do blah 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 blah? And she talks to him like she's his mother, even though because age-wise she is his mother, because she literally has a son his age. Mm. Um, she talks like she she talks to him in this soft girly kind of can you make me feel better kind of way. But she also, you know, has that weird kind of mom kind mm. of way of talking. Uh, and then only also towards the end of the film do we get that sense from from Joe that he's like, hang on a second. Is this really what I wanted, or is this really what I want now? Which apparently, again, talking about Wikipedia, the ca- the real case, he's come forward after her her death. Um, she died of cancer, I believe. Right. Um, and he's he's sort of come to a conclusion that yeah, he probably was just not old enough to make all those decisions. That, to make an informed, consensual how decision. That situation was that is so interesting. But it was like way later when I think after she passed. And but but isn't that interesting? You know, you can be with someone twenty four years, mm. and I don't think it's a case of Stockholm syndrome or mm, anything mm. quite that grievous. But that's interesting. The notes on a scandal story, the way that it's cast in the book mm. and the film, that happens all the time. And more interesting to me, and particularly on this watch, is how cringy it is. When she's with, um, so she, when Sheba Hart is with Stephen, is that his name? Um, sexually and all that, she's being her younger self. But when he sends those gross teenage boy texts, oh, I can't wait to be, blah, blah. And there's this sense as a middle-aged woman of going, that's not how I want to be spoken to. And suddenly the age gap is a real thing. And the dissonance, right? That's when she breaks down and starts crying in the house. And I guess the thing I was going to say that Sorry, really stood Jeremy. out to me. Yeah. Um, and that's the end of our podcast, everybody. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, the thing that stood out to me on this rewatch was the clout or what's the words seeing Judy Dench and Kate Blanchett opposite each other mm. I think it's really easy to take that for granted in 2006 and now take what for granted the fact that they're in a film together playing oh, these yeah. roles in this way like that scene where she literally throw you know when Kate Blanchett's throwing Dame Judy against this bookshelf yes I'm like how do they do that like, I don't want to break Dame Judy you know? yeah <laughs> um just I think having those actors on screen in these roles and this complicated sort of obsession um, you know they're both manipulating one another it's just amazing and then when Kate Blanchett drops into that lower register which yes. you know I have a fire within me whatever she does in Elizabeth it's always impressive when yes. she when she earns it which she yes. often I can't think of a time when she hasn't earned it um, and I guess having Bill Nye and like even Juno Temple her first yes! film like mm. these really amazing actors around around the edges of this and 
the, the guy who plays the school teacher who... Um, Phil Davis. I, mean, I, I just know him from the Sherlock uh, right. TV series as the, right. as the taxi driver. Do you think I'm in with a chance? Yeah. And the way Judy Dench is so... Not Judy, but Barbara is yeah. so cutting. Yeah. Oh, it's brilliant. Oh. Um, but I, I really, really enjoyed it. The music is fantastic. I forgot it was Philip Glass. I messaged in our group chat. Oh yeah. my gosh, it's yeah. Philip Glass. I think as well, because knowing that William wasn't able to make this episode, he would have... And he hasn't seen it. He would have... I think adored the sound. Yeah. Oh yes. Um, I, I had a really good time. May December, I went to the cinema this week, and I had to be somewhere at seven thirty, and the film was sort of finishing. I didn't realise it until seven thirty-five, so I was having to look at my phone in the Aww. last sequence of the film. But, um, but you did stay to the end. I did stay till the end. Yeah. What did you think of May December? I thought there was some real gold in there. Mm. Um, when I read afterwards that they filmed it with this sort of sense of play and improvisation and kind of moving forward no matter what because they only had X amount of days 23? to 23? 23 days? Yep, 23 yeah. days. Which I, is extraordinary. I could see the, 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 the joy of that in the film and I could also mm. see the problems of that in the movie. Right. I think mm. some of the dialogue, I don't know why it's been nominated for Best Screenplay when I think some of the dialogue is extremely clunky. Oh, oh do thought, you? I do. I think some of the sequences I was like, oh, this is not... I mean, I'm not sure about this. It's ah. not the, it's not the tightness of um, of notes on a scandal. But doesn't that make it more real? I don't know. I just uh, they took me out of the film a couple of times. Did it? But I really loved the characterization of mm. of the three kind of key players. Yeah. I think. And and the actors did a wonderful job. I thought that the nuance. I thought Natalie Portman and Julianne Moore were absolutely perfectly pitched because neither was a caricature. Both of them were utterly believable characters. And I think in the case of um, Elizabeth, uh, um, sorry, um, Natalie Portman's character, what's her name? Elizabeth. Elizabeth, not Berkeley, but someone or other, right? Mm. She played it so well as somebody who is a sort of a mid-range TV or movie star, TV star, who um, the, the kids are all like, oh my God, it's her. And she played it kind of really nice and kind of not too big and not too humble or anything. The manipulation that she did, but the being manipulated, I thought it was so well done. The and moment I, that got me with her was after she'd slept with Joe. Yeah. And he leaves and she just gets the letter and she's excited she's doing a reset. Like, yeah. It's yeah. like, oh, this is so good. It was yeah. all just... Like, sure, she's probably interested in him as well, but really, she's there yeah. for a purpose. Yes. And she had, she, you know, she could care less. What... <laughs> yeah, but vanity-wise, she will have thought that she would have liked him to quite fancy her. Oh, yeah. I mean, sure. But, she, yeah. you know, she was, she's not going to pursue him further, right? She she was there to to have that part of the relationship and yeah. move on. And... It was extraordinary, <laughs> not method acting, but kind of, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I have... Lots to say. The first is I just want to extend a hand to Corey Michael Smith, who has not gotten any praise for this film. And you might say, who's Corey Michael Smith? Mm. He is the birth son who poisoned that terrible cover band. Yeah, true. And comes out and he's and is suddenly just like so coiled with simultaneous menace and wounding at the mm. same time. Mm. And in three scenes, I think he does as tremendous of a job as any of the other actors, even more so. I yeah, think. true. Um, I think um, you said something about taking out of the film. I think this is a film designed to take you out. Mm. Why? Why? How? Why? Uh, Lots of reasons. I mean, there's. um, It is a very disconnected film. I mean, you know, there's been a lot of talk about being a melodrama, but it is not consistently within that skin. Mm. You know, you watch Far from Heaven, and like literally, if there's anyone who knows how to make a complete, perfect, formal melodrama with no seals no cracks in it it's Todd Haynes mm. and he did and, Carol as well yeah and he did Carol and and that that is very is not quite as overt in like being Douglas Serkian hyper real yeah but this flirts with these you know he, so he's used these this music from Joseph Losey's The Go-Between from the 60s that also to our modern ears sounds like late 90s lifetime movie music. Mm, um, and this for is for May, December. For this is for May, December. Yeah, yes. it's a great refrain. Um, um, and they'll be used at these crazy points, but there'll also be points with no music at all. There'll be points where Natalie Portman is giving direct address to the audience, mm. is giving her monologue to the audience with no kind of context of why she's mm. looking at the camera and that stuff reminds me of like Bergman's persona and mm. things like that um the scene that you talked about 
you both just talked about in the bedroom, uh, there's uh, the, a key, the key dramatic breakdown of that relationship between um, Grace or between Elizabeth and Joe is that, you know, the line is something like, this isn't a story, this is my life. And I mm. think that's, that's the sand in the wound or the, or the, the rough edge of this whole thing that I think is what really driving Todd Haynes' interest in a script he didn't write, mm. which is a whole separate kind of way of looking at getting in the film. Um, but of, of he's like, well, what what is this distance between a story and a life that can never be reconciled? Mm. I think the, the literal plot of the film, you see to the extent that Elizabeth is trying to find the truth of it, you see at the end how hilariously useless the whole enterprise oh, was. So it's brilliant. so yes. you know, right down to the shade of lipstick. Yeah, um, it's brilliant. And, and do you mean man- being manipulated by Georgie? Is that is the son's name as well? By the oh, fact that he no, I mean feeds the tri- her well, his lines. I'm, I'm talking the about the final snake. scene. On, yes, yes, the ter- how it's terrible. That, it is. Yeah, that <laughs> it is just going to be an awful movie. Mm. There's no, no truth, and, mm. and and even that she can't get the. The hue of lipstick, right? Even mm. after we've sat through a four-minute <laughs> masterclass, <laughs> you know. And so I mentioned, I mentioned the animal metaphors at the start, and I think that's one thing that stood out to me. I was like, oh, butterflies? Are we really using butterflies as a metaphor yeah. for this mm. guy? And then when she's got the fox moment, mm. I was like, this is really heavy-handed. And then with the snake at the end, I was mm. like, okay, no, you've, you've won yeah. me over movies. Um, I, I, and, that's, and that's what I feel like. Like, I, I think I've read a lot of different interpretations of the film, and I think, like... I mean, Todd Haynes studied semiotics at Rhode mm. Island, and there's like a line like about comparative semiotics or something that is their thing. And I think he's just like he's taken what I think is this a script that operates at a certain level and directorially applied that to it. I mean, there's the use of mirrors in this film would make Donald Kaufman like uh, like bow with envy. There's that amazing scene where. Um, the daughter's trying on graduation dresses. Oh, that's so and the actual You're well, so brave. I know. <laughs> Getting your upper arms out. I could never do something like Great that. Great performance from that girl as well. Yeah, yes. and there's like four different mirrors in there and just yeah. the actual, like, it, but yeah, and, and it's just literally dizzying try to work out how you're getting the ink because some of it's like reflecting back to camera and back to another mm. way. So you have a reflection next to Julianne Moore of Julianne Moore to slightly different angle but of a side of her it's just yeah i mean and so there is this literal hall of mirrors quality well it's the split identity thing and we see we've seen that though in a lot of films right where mirrors well that's a donald kaufman joke right from adaptation you know it's like this a a, a lot where it's like who am i am i this person or that person or am i the one that's looking from behind or am i being duplicitous or you know tom ripley and Mm. All that, I mean, all, all that jazz. You're so, I mean, I think, and it's Todd, Todd, well, which Todd are we talking about? Haynes. Haynes. <laughs> the Todds. We, before yeah, this yeah. episode, listeners, we were all confused which Todds we were talking about. That's right. But I think that's that, there's a sense of play with the semiotics, isn't there? And Absolutely, and like, yeah. I think about the sequence to come back to the music refrain and those moments. You know, that moment where Julianne Moore opens the fridge at the oh, start my God. and the music comes and in and it's, it's the zoom. zoom. It's the Zoom. And then she says something like, we're going to need more hot dogs. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly I don't think we're right. going to have enough hot well, dogs. Yeah, there we go. And, and that's really And then it cuts. Yeah. <laughs> and so then he's funny. on the grill and he's making the hot dogs and we're fine. That's so funny. Yeah. But, yeah. but also you see how she completely collapses later in the film because somebody has canceled their cake order. Yeah. And you actually realize in retrospect that that is almost mm. a, 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 a tension edge where anything could fall apart for this person. You realize mm. how... How you know tightly wound, wound she the, is. this actually is, and that, that as much as it's a funny joke and one that actually I've seen Todd Haynes kind of regrets because everybody's seized on that in favor of a lot of the other signifiers of what he's trying to do, and they've been like, "Oh, this is a camp melodrama," and I don't think it's a camp film. I don't. Mm. I really don't think it's pitched at that level, and there's mm. a lot of it that's kind of just low key observational, like when Charles Melton is talking to his dad, and they're just you know, sitting. It, it's not like everything's heightened. Mm. Yeah. How about how wonderful was Savannah? I just that was beautiful. <laughs> who, who, who? The the the, the location. location yeah. the, oh the right, place. right. I always right. want to go there, yeah. so I was yes. like, I've not seen very many movies. Oh, I hear yet. you. Yes, on the water and everything. Yeah. And I was yeah, like, yeah. well, maybe that's somewhere to go live. And with the trees, <laughs> it's I was set like, in 2015 oh, for a reason. Oh, yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> Is it all underwater now? No, it's pre-Trump. 
Oh, I see. Right. I see. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I loved. Um, I loved the scene where um, Charles. Uh, so Joe, the dad, the young dad, who never got to have a childhood. Because he hooked up with this woman when he was 13, and we don't really know what he did in the eight years she was in jail, but we can assume that he was raising the child and being, uh, do you know what I mean? Not mm. really being a kid. And he smokes pot for the first time yeah. with his mm. teenage son yeah. and, um, and giggles mm. and jokes and enjoys it and nearly falls off the roof. And, and how she it, then yeah. is like, guys, what are you up to? Kind of like she's talking <laughs> to two kids. And he's got that little flirtatious relationship with his his bug friend oh yeah yeah the other entomologist who's Mm. like you know and they kind of like oh maybe we could go here and stuff like that that's right so the it's the life that he missed out on now those are only really subtly um alluded to but a comparison because i do like to do my comparisons doug so sometimes what i do when i'm doing cinema in context prep is i'll draw two columns and then we'll see where are the same things and in this instance sheba (laughs) sheba hart for whom I don't have a lot of sympathy, mm. is all, um, don't you wish you were someone else? I want it to be my younger self. Now, she too, because she hooked up with Bill Nighy when she was a 20-year-old student, mm. she kind of missed out on having her younger days. And um, and so that both of those characters, only one mm. of whom is really a victim, um, you know, misses out on that, that life. And it at least speaks to why uh, Joe's character is is having not e- not even really a flirtation, just a relationship of, of, of friendship with the bug person, but also particularly why Sheba wants to be seen as attractive by a young man and wants to be sneaking out, having illicit sex on the um, the, the train lines and, ha- and having a cigarette, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, she's very... The th- okay, so just I, I just have to chuck this in, and I'm sorry that I'm all over the place, but there's so much to respond to in these films. Kate Blanchett, I have never seen her so luminous. I knew she was good-looking, and I have always loved her lack of vanity in something like Elizabeth. But my goodness, when the film and all the characters, from the Phil Davis headmaster to Bill Nighy to particularly J- Judy Dench's character, and of course the young lad... She the way she's described by in the voiceover as um, you know innocent and um, ephemeral and all that kind. And she is absolutely luminous, and mm. I fell in love with all of her flimsy outfits and her cozy cardigans and the way she's so familiar. And she puts her head on your shoulder and she puts her legs over the chair when she's mm. telling Judy Dench and she's speaking narcissistically all about herself and all that. And despite the fact that she is a narcissistic, ungrateful and, and what's the word for inappropriate? There is a, a more of a word for it. Uh, immoral character. She's so likable mm. or she's so not maybe likable, but so beguiling. She has to be because otherwise all of Judy Dench's barbs, huh? Excuse yes. the pun. Yeah. Um, around class and, you know, yes. they don't work. So she no. has to be... We really... have to love her anyway. Yeah. Whereas, did you love Julianne Moore? Oh, I mean, I love Julianne Moore. But, but did you love her character? No, she's a despicable character. You see, I didn't think of her as despicable, but I thought of her as 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 weak. But then she would say, oh, I am weak. I am naive. I am innocent. And then, of course, at the very end, she's not at all innocent. Oh, that, I mean, that scene where she says to him, who's in charge? You know, yeah. the irony of that is just kind of wonderful. You know, you know which scene I'm talking about? No. When, the bed, when she's in the bedroom with Joe and he's yeah, saying... Yeah, they're having a confrontation was... about the past and what really happened and she won't talk about it. And he says, maybe I was too young to make choices. Oh, and she goes, I hang see. on, you seduced me. Oh, she, yes. she says, Who, who's in charge? You know, she's, she's right. telling yeah. her, who's in charge? And the like, usage... Oh, you're in charge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the, the usage... <laughs> Don't me, you deny it. <laughs> yeah. The usage me thing is interesting or is tricky because, of course, Stephen does seduce Kate Blanchett's character. Yeah, but I mean... Stephen yeah, Connolly. Sure, but I mean, it's. I'm still, not. No, it's not. I'm not saying it's not. You know what I mean? I'm not it's saying like, a blame thing, but I'm saying you can see her if she had turned that way, going. But he started it. Yeah. You know. Do you know it's interesting as well when I say that I made that comment about Stephen not kind of just disappearing from the film, and I yes. think I can't see how else they would have done it because he's not going to be have the capacity to, you know, he's not going to have some kind of poignant Agency reflection or, no. moment. Yeah, yeah. But I think. Thinking of May December almost as a sequel of sorts to Notes on a Scandal, he does mm. have that moment as a thirty-six-year-old man and kind of this breakdown of of his mm. character. And I wonder. I mean, it, 
it, it's really connected to his, all his kids leaving, isn't it? They're all growing up, and he's mm. realised... Yeah. I mean, it's so poignant in that, that graduation that they are able to graduate and go and go to the next part of their lives. Yeah. And he, Which he never got to he do. He never got to do that. So uh, it works... What I want, I don't know what I want from Notes on a Scandal because it doesn't actually leave me wanting anything, but what I think is maybe morally missing from that piece of the story, if that was a true story, yeah. which we know mm-hmm. it is, we get that in, well, in May, December. I see, I see what you're saying. In Notes on a Scandal, of course, and, and perhaps you've said this and I don't need to defend it, but 15-year-old Stephen Connolly's parents are absolutely distraught and outraged and they will have just, you know, picked him up and moved town. Mm. Um or moved, certainly moved school and all that, and tried to just get away from all the horror of it. Um, and that is the reality of what would happen. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I think at that, it because it's a present tense story, all you could really have is just like a shot of him in his bedroom reading the newspaper or something. And it's just like, I don't know that that really adds no. much because no. it is it is the kind of having the um, time of reflection and all of that that will actually the awful thing is in both films it's actually not about the boy mm, I guess it's it's I'm, not awful I, it's, I mean I'm, it is what it is but it's not about the victim yeah. it's about these two women who have their own agendas mm, and I mm. think that's the thing that whenever there's there's a tricky issue like this I can't help but think about the reality of these situations yeah. and how voiceless the victims often yeah. are and the, those, it's all about power dynamics right, right. so so it's it's so complicated yeah. because of that. Can I and ask so, a really awkward question? Um, you're both you've both are have taught in um, schools, yeah. yeah. And so, in terms of children pushing at the boundaries of those power dynamics, how resonant or believable? It happens all that? the time. Right, it happens all the time. Not not with every kid, but like I was really surprised in my first year of teaching when I had these two girls misbehaving in my class 13 year old girls and one of my leaders was like jeremy it's because they probably have a crush on you and i was so taken aback yeah they did not expect that yeah um you know even just uh, yesterday we had our our big sports day and one of my students from last year um tried to hug me and i said no no hugs just handshake you know yeah so so kids are doing it all the time because that's the nature of their their ages right right so mm-hmm. If, if a kid had sort of had a crush on a teacher, which happens all the time, I mean, yeah. um, and they were giving advances, and that teacher was then responding to that, well, it's it's on that teacher to to sort their Oh, their go stuff straight out, to their you know? senior leadership. And, I, I mean, the first thing one should... And look, I'll be completely honest here. I went into teaching at age 40, but I thought about teaching when I was much younger. But I thought to myself... I don't want to be a teacher while I feel as young as these people because, mm. you know, at, I, in my early 20s, I was attracted to young men who were maybe in their late teens. Oh, let's not split hairs about where the people at school have left by then. But the point is, there's no way I could have gone straight into teaching in my 20s. Um, quite aside from the fact that I'm... I'm I, we have a friend, Jeremy and I, who is absolutely gorgeous and I think young. I this person. Uh, absolutely yeah. gorgeous and young. And some of the teachers fancy her. And there will be kids who have most definitely fancied her. And I cannot see it as anything other than a burden. But the situation is that the teacher has to immediately go, look, you know, there have been some comments or some forays or something uh, and then uh, the, and then they'll be advised on how to make sure. That's why teachers aren't allowed to shut classroom doors anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's as much to keep the children safe as it is to keep the the adult safe, yeah, isn't I, it? I from accusations. Me, if I have things. a kid who lingers in my classroom and it's got an automatically closing door, I'll just walk over and, and, and stand, say, come over here. We'll, we'll, you know, and I just say to them, say, if they ask, if ask me why, I said I don't ever share a classroom alone with a student with a closed door. Yeah. And the kids get it. Yeah. And then if they don't get it, then they go, well, why? It's like, yeah. it's just, it keeps both you and I safe. And kids understand that. Absolutely. Um, Sometimes it's, um, and I haven't talked about this with anybody uh, other than my, my boss at work, but even in the week um, or to, to the end of last week, there was a young lad and they were, the lads were hanging around outside and I went out to talk to them, and one of them said, and I didn't think about it much at the time, he said, oh, miss, he wants to have sex with you. And I didn't take it in a bad way, because I'm 50, and I rebuffed it in a, well, I know that that's absolutely not true, and that's an inappropriate thing to say. And Mm. just sort of, but I didn't make a big deal of, we need to stand aside and talk about how inappropriate that is, because I didn't, I wasn't upset or worried. However, 
Um, it, in hindsight, I should have read him the riot act because I think that he is saying this child has said those sorts of things to girl students and that that is threatening and 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 unsafe and all that kind of thing mm. so um so yeah I, I mean I'm only sharing that because yes it is a, it's a complex situation now there is absolutely nothing underlying any of it it was it, he was talking smack and the, the kid he was talking about categorically doesn't, and I'm 50, and I knew that it was just a, a smart-ass talking. But there will be young teachers like Sheba Hart or like our mutual mm. friend um, for whom that is, 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 not a, is not safe. It's interesting. You know, you asked this question, Doug, and I think, I don't know if you anticipated, you know, we, I could keep going. I think we probably, the amount of stories, it's just part and parcel of what it is to be a high school teacher because you've got young people discovering their sexuality for the yeah. first time. And that's part of what we're charged with as adults is to make sure that their behavior is appropriate in the space that we're in. Yeah. And so I guess when I respond to movies like this, I can't help but come at it very pragmatically because that's the reality of what I have to do. And so when I see something that is all about character and emotion and relationship, mm. I will always be tempering it with, but at the end of the day, that's a 36 year old woman sleeping with a 13 year old. Yeah. Hell's yeah, she should go to jail. And how's yeah, Bathsheba, whatever? Yes, Bathsheba. He's 15. Well, in in Notes on a Scandal, he's 15. And then Mm. she says, doesn't she? But he's nearly 16. And Bill Nighy goes, that's not the point. I love it. (laughs) Brilliant. You know, but you can. So I feel like Sheba, though, is such a realistic character. Because I think another possible truth about teaching, some of us who are in the game are in the game because we feel young at heart and we love young people, not in that way. And we enjoy um, working with young people. Mm. So there is a danger that the Sheba hearts of the world who want to recover or rediscover the youth, particularly one Mm. they might not have had, are in that space because this is lovely to be in that space. So that when, here's the thing, right? Zoe Heller wrote a really good story Bill Nighy, God bless him, Richard in the in the book. Richard is not a horrible husband. He's not old and decrepit, but there, she is dissatisfied enough with her life that when this young lad um, makes entrees towards her, she is beguiled by that. You know, the cliche is the um, Lady Chatterley and people who, you know, their husband is brutal and they wind up with the gardener and la la la. I, I feel like the, the the film intentionally sets up her life. To be wonderful. Yeah. Well, like, I feel like she's actually, there's limited reasons, like oh, limited we've, we've, on the surface yeah, but reasons. What about the son with the Down sun? syndrome? Yeah, I think I that's suppose, a pretty big, but... like, kind of um, explosion into the film when it happens. Mm. And I think it's very much when you, um, when Barb comes over for the first time. Mm. She calls and him she the has... court jester. Isn't she vile? Oh, yeah, she's... Yes. Barbara's voiceover. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I mean, that's that's one of the great things about the film, right, is that it begins with the voiceover that sets you the in... The pig and knickers. ...right away to the tone. As she talks about dumpy Joanna Scanlon's teacher oh, character. Yeah. Yes. Anyway, but then yeah. she is. But then Barb is the one that asks about the son later on, and he goes, oh, you know... Mind her of business or whatever he says to her. Bill Nye's no, character. yes, but she's being ingratiating. Right. She's she, she wants to be part of their yes. family. She's lonely. She wants to be part of their family. I, I mean, definitely that. But I feel like there's there's two sides. She's still she's the only one that actually asks about him, right? Well, we don't know that for sure. Yeah, but true. Well, who who's who else is going to ask yeah, the fifteen yeah. year old? <laughs> but yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I think part of the thing that's is so compelling about this stuff, right, is that there is this question about it. What person? age does this person have agency and and it can you know the very young quickly. person yes yeah mm-hmm. and and i mean even when i came here i was um uh there was some people who were dating at my film school who were 17 and 19 or 20 and and they were quite frequently like <clears throat> together and like in this in the states that i grew up and i think it varies from state to state but it's mm. like under 18 like with somebody over 18, that statutory rape, just flat out, like, mm. and I'm like, and then I learned that the legislation is slightly different here, and it's like, oh, with you're in a year or two of that, it kind of is okay, and so what they were doing was legal here, would have got them thrown in jail in the States, mm. and stuff like that, and so um, you have this thing where, where there are all these kind of borderline, you know, precocious youth, da-da-da, and 
there's a simultaneously, especially when you're dealing with a character who's 13, that you recognize that's outside of it. But then when you start dialing into the microscopics of it, you're like, well, where is that? Yeah, for me, for me it's about... and, and when do you deny the agency of a young person? Because this is like, you know, you have people who argue about, you know, what age should kids be able to vote at and things mm-hmm. like that as well. I, for me, it's, it's less about the age. It's more about the power dynamic. And right. I think that with a teacher and a student, because, you, you know... I, so yeah. Here you may be interested same, to know. I was just to say before you oh. say, I was just to say that it's the same. This has come up when it's like, okay, what if it's a student and now now they're eighteen and then they've connected with this teacher outside of school yes. and now they're in a relationship, which happens. I'm like, but that relationship was still established with a very clear power dynamic. Yeah, and it's almost like. Which is the one that Bill Nye and um, Kate Blanchett's character. Yeah, had. but she right. was twenty. But yeah. here's the thing: in England and Wales, the age of consent is sixteen. But if the person is a student of the older person, it becomes eighteen. Interesting. So if Kate Blanchett had been eighteen when Bill Nye, uh, well, she was eighteen or older. But the point is, with Stephen, he was fifteen, but he would have had to been eighteen. Mm, either way, he's under sixteen, isn't he? Yeah, it? exactly. But yeah. he's nearly sixteen anyway. Oh, it's um, so pathetic. But thirteen is extraordinary low. Yeah. In the mm. Mary Kay Letourneau case. And then we can get into, if Julianne Moore's characterization of the real life Mary Kay is, is to be taken uh, at face value, then she has a very little girly way about her. So there will be reasons why in the film um, she curls up in bed and she cries and she's like, will you look after me? And she is very infantilized. Mm. Um, she infantilizes herself, arguably, but that's yeah. interesting too. And I wonder whether she did that right from the beginning, which is how they could be together with a 13-year-old. Mm. I guess as well, I'm thinking if it was a 14-year-old having sex with a 13-year-old and then they got married at 17, we, you wouldn't think anything of it, would well, the you? Prob- yeah. the, well, the problem is you do think something of it. And, and look, I mean, this almost doesn't need to be said, but everybody in this country knows that even if the age of consent is 16 here... Mm. Um, Everybody under that age is... Not everybody's having sex, but heaps of kids under that age are having sex and having babies. Mm. So, um, but this is the the interesting thing about this. is It's not about two young people, Romeo and a Juliet at mm. age 13, who are copping off. This is about an older person and a younger person and the justification of the relationship. Right. Um, so these are two very different stories told from very different perspectives. Do you feel like there is another perspective on this that you'd want to see that hasn't been explored in terms of this now versus 20 years later do you feel like this is an evergreen thing or do you feel like this is kind of like you've seen enough I stories mean, about I, this topic I, mean, Let's I, I wonder you know imagine if the joe character or the steven character got to be a 50 year old person and then they've lived what if they've had another family and they've lived a life and then they're looking back i don't know like mm. do we, we, we do, i tell you what film it did remind me of watching yeah. these two movies together was um, the Before Sunrise, Before Sunset series. Huh. Oh, and why? I was like, what if... I think just with the time jump, you know... Yeah. yeah. I, again, I couldn't help but thinking of them as a sequel Interesting. to another one. What if we got the, the story yeah. from Joe another 20 years in the future? How... What would that be like? I, 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 I don't know. And I think it's tricky. I don't want this to sound like a defense of Julianne Moore's character. I appreciate absolutely... The adult must take the responsibility not to have the relationship because even if the young person is seen to be consenting, um, you know, legally, psychologically, whatever, they they don't have that capacity. But if she's in a relationship and they stay together and they get married and they're together and they raise a family and all of a sudden he at 50 goes, actually, I think that was wrong and that was abusive. I feel bad for her because she's lived under this assumption that it was okay and it feels like a turning of the the tables do you know what i mean yeah i just don't agree i just think if you're 36 and you're having a relationship with a 13 year old and it blows up in your face when you're 70 yeah tough titty you made a poor choice and you've got a lot of the consequences let's assume then kate blanchard and bill nighy's characters yeah we don't know how much older he is but just say he was third i think actually he was 36 and she was 20 say Mm. say Uh, which interestingly is the same age difference between my parents when they met at 23 and 39. Nowadays, if a 39-year-old was dating a 23-year-old, I would say to my mum, run a bloody mile. What do you think you're playing at? But, you know, happily married until he died at 93. Mm. Anyway, no, but let's take this back. Let's say Kate Blanchett's 20. 
He's 36. Legally and whatever, morally, they're allowed to have a relationship. But what say she gets to 45 and goes, actually, it's no one's fault, but I felt sort of inveigled into that relationship and I've had 25 years of a life that actually I, I, I wanted to have done it differently. I feel that's unfair on him. Mm. Yeah, but she's still of an age of... Consent. consent and so okay so it really does oh look I, and i'm not disagreeing that a 13 year old can't make that decision good lord that no mm. no no hey, interesting hey we've got i mean we've got to some some deep and dark places, <laughs> yeah. which i feel like is appropriate i think we can't talk about these movies and they are melodramatic oh yeah yeah without actually touching on the reality of what it's dealing with otherwise yeah. it all just mm. becomes fodder for great drama which well here's a question is awkward why did both filmmakers make this overly dramatic when actually it's already, they're both dramatic stories? I think because you've got to have a sense of fun about this, right? Like if it's too serious, it's just mm. so depressing. It's just a Netflix documentary. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's that. There's, I think there's certainly, it, it, it is part of the, I don't want to see moral ambiguity because I think we have a strong sense of yeah. that. But it, there, it's not enough to say, I think, for us to say, oh, they did something wrong and move on. No, no. Um, I mean, so much of great drama, right, is about understanding the motivation between behind murder, mayhem, you know, all the Shakespearean mm. sorts of things. And it's complicated. And, and, yeah, no, and Shakespeare never wrote this specific story. And so when we hear of something that is unspeakable or beyond our understanding, mm. uh, the, understand the, the role of the dramatist or the impetus of the dramatist is to try to make sense of it yes and yet and these are larger this this was a larger than life story yeah in america and across the world and so there is i think just that continuing impetus to try to do that and you know through this language that's yeah you know larger than life i mean certainly and also i mean <laughs> notes of a scandal being an adaptation of a book that yeah. was very much written in that register and then May December being the product of a filmmaker who just throws every tool into the yeah. uh, thing to give this 21st century kaleidoscopic deconstruction of all the different ways of looking with this and saying, passing it to the ear and saying, it's tough, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think it's a great place to end. Do you want to do the honors, Sarah? Uh, uh, no. Okay, cool. I'll do it then. Thank you for listening to another episode <laughs> of Cinema in Context. If you enjoy our podcast, then please consider sharing it with your film-loving friends. You can listen to Cinema in Context on SoundCloud, Spotify, Radio Public, Stitcher, Amazon Music, and Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook, which are great places to let us know what you think of this episode, as well as give us suggestions for future films to discuss and compare. Look out for our next episode in a month's time, and until then, no more am I. I.